the core values mean nothing written on the wall. They only mean something when they're lived out. And that starts from, from a position of leadership down the pipeline. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I've got some coaches in my life that are, that really enjoy kicking me in the face when it comes to how I violate my core values of our, my business. Um, that Can you say that again? <laughs> coaches in my life that enjoy kicking me. No, 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 no. Let's go, go back a second. Core values mean nothing written on a wall. They only mean something when they're carried out. Yes. Because that might seem really simple of a concept, but I feel like so many people get stuck on what they put on the wall, whether it's their Facebook wall, whether it's their living room wall, but don't actually focus on actually living out those things. I just I needed to, to reinforce that one because it was too good to just gloss over. Three, two, one. Welcome back to another episode of the No Half Cakes podcast. I am super pumped to bring you this guest today. It is uh, a man who has been an inspiration to me in leadership, in family, in friendship, in faith, in, I mean, any possible way you can name someone that someone can stand up as a role model. Like this dude has been that times 10 and uh, <clears throat> someone that I lean on constantly for for guidance, for inspiration, for motivation, for just an example of how to live, like just a, a life that gives people an example of what's possible. And I have been pumped, like beyond pumped to share this person with literally everyone in my life. Um, and now I'm going to share him with you. So without further ado, uh, I just want to introduce the magnificent Christopher Vester. <laughs> Man, I don't... I don't know how to live up to all that. <laughs> I, I appreciate that um, amazing introduction, and um, and you know You're how understood. I feel about you. You are, as you just shown, as you just shown, one of the best encouragers I've ever met in my life, and um, who always speaks truth. I think the best way to encourage people is just with truth, and you do that with so ridiculously well. And um, you talk about shining a light of how to live. Then that's you. I love you, brother. I love you too, man. I'm uh, I'm pumped. So thank you for being here. It it means a lot to me. And and on the topic of being there, like you've been there for me for a lot of times that I've needed someone to lean on, and uh, and always been that example of like just solid. And as someone who's like spread, I don't want to speak for you, but we'll call it spread thin with so many responsibilities between business and faith and family. Like you got a lot going on. I mean, give us a little bit of background first, kind of let people know who you are, and then how do you manage to juggle all that in the course of a day? So second generation of a business. My father started our business. It's Hubert Vester Auto Group. We're a group of car dealerships. We've had as many as nine rooftops, and we are strategically down to three currently um, with always looking for new opportunities. Um been in this this space for 30 years um married to my amazing wife for 27 of the last 30 years so she's only known me in this space suzanne um we've been together actually 30 years um so i guess this is actually 31 years in the car space because i met her kind of a year after we got involved in the car business father of three kids all daughters people that know me from high school often say you get what you deserve <laughs> um, and th but three amazing, beautiful daughters, 
Um, inside and out, they want to solve world problems, um, which I'm super proud of how they approach life and how they show up in the world. Avery's my oldest. She's 22. She'll be 23 in February. She's in her second year seminary. Um, my middle daughter is just turned 19 about a month ago, and she's in her second year of college studying forensic science. And my baby girl's a freshman in high school, so a little bit of an age range. Yeah, we've got around 160-ish full-time employees. Um, that number always moves back and forth. Not a lot, but you know, as you gather people to the bus and you you graduate people to a new opportunity. Um, total employees, including part-time, around 200. It's I love this. I love the automotive space. Um, my goal was to show up different. I didn't think I ever wanted to be in the car business, and here I am, 31 years later in the car business. And yeah, I stay a little busy. Um, you know, Suzanne and I have are trying to figure out what that next evolution of our not marriage so much, but our investment time investment, kingdom investment, um, created a foundation about two years ago, and using the business to kind of seed that now is kind of cool to see, um, and for us to start looking and picking projects to pour into. Um, so yeah, a little bit going on, I guess you could say. I love people. I love pouring into people. So, like, our, you're you're part of my discipleship group on Wednesdays. That's had its had its root in um, January of 2020. So we're getting ready to roll into the fourth year of that. Wow, yeah, um, which is kind of crazy. That is crazy. That's been that's been a really amazing experience and uh, something that I really would encourage a lot of people to do that I don't think enough people really consider is kind of getting in that close intimate group where you could be vulnerable and transparent with some other people whether it's you know a group of men in this case or you know whoever it is but I think being around people who can lean on each other uh, inspire each other you can count on um, learn from has been tremendously helpful for me uh, and I'll give you a ton of credit and kind of open my eyes up to the benefits of that I didn't really have that example really before that yeah, and I I was challenged into it. So I was in, invited into a discipleship group through my church um, in 2015. And it was funny when I was putting that one together coming into 2020, the one that was heading my discipleship group from my church was now overseas as a full-time missionary and on the other side of the planet, basically. And I said, hey, I need you to be a part of this group. And he's like, like logistically, how's that going to work? Like, he's like, just go and do it. You know, it kind of challenged me into it because I knew what it had done for me. You know, having the group of transparent accountability partners where you do lean on one another and you're at different stages of life. Really, that's kind of one of the, one of the most beautiful things about it for me is having people, you know, like in our group in their early 30s and then I'm the old head in the group at 50, I'll be 52 in January, um, at all stages of life. I mean, we got a guy that's single we've got young very young kids and i've got kids that are in their 20s so it's kind of all walks of life but i just knew what it had done for me and um felt really compelled to do it um really as an extension of 75 hard that's how it got started the 75 hard and faithful is what we called it but adding some type of a faith element to the mental discipline challenge of 75 hard and you know, the dynamic in that group has changed a little bit over the course of it since the beginning. But the one thing that I think has never changed is, you know, it's, it's effectiveness in helping us lean on one another and, and just 
being able to open up and say what we're struggling with, which men don't do well. You no. know, you know, if if you look at the the rate of suicide is super. It's the the number one case of suicides men over the age of forty. You know, and I think it's because they don't know how to open up to other men and recognize the fact they're not the only one struggling. Um, so I, I I mean men need it. You know, so. Yeah, I agree. There's uh there's definitely not enough examples of what that looks like to be emotionally healthy or emotionally strong. You know, too many people look at strength as a man as how much you can lift or how tough you are, but uh, the emotional or the heart part of it really just doesn't factor in uh, for society reasons. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'll celebrate you for leading that charge and kind of correcting that narrative. And uh, it's been monumental for me. So I just I want to continue pushing that. More people who really need to hear it and, and kind of get that perspective in their own life. I, I think for me personally, it's probably been the number one shift in my life that's had the most dynamic result is being a part of a group like that. Because um, in, in a situation where you're in a group like that, you recognize you're not the only one struggling with whatever you're struggling with. Um, so it gives you hope in that sense. And it gives you voices that are not your own voice in your head, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I would strongly encourage anybody who's listening that says, man, I wish I had I wish I had something like that. Then go create it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good point. Um, you know, when you talk about a discipleship group, does it always need to be discipleship in terms of like, hey, we're going to go talk about the Bible? Or is there an element to... Uh, in your business, you've kind of got these little circles of people who can disciple from each other and learn and grow and, and be held accountable. Um, is there like a business component to that as well? Um, so mine started out for sure about biblical, with a biblical anchor to it. Now, because my life has a, is biblically anchored, it's, that's just part of it. Um, so, I mean, if you think about the word discipleship, it's it's about creating disciples. So, yeah, it was a, it was 100% rooted in faith development. Um, in fact, the one that I started, again, it's through my church. I mean, they had a curriculum that we went through collectively that involved um, scripture memorization and um, a building up curriculum. In other words, you start out with like really simple ideas and you walk through these 12 things and then you walk through the same 12 things a little bit deeper and then you walk through the same 12 things a little bit deeper over the course of three years. So it was a long process of really getting deep into things that was biblically rooted. Um, and, you know, we've done some Bible study in ours. And what I see now is we may not be doing Bible study select, like um, with a, a, a quote-unquote curriculum to it, but I think because everybody in our group is a believer that we can't help but lean on that part of us and how we pour into one another. Right. Um so, but I, I think it would depend on the group itself. I mean, because it, you know, the, the idea of discipleship, if you think about biblically structured, like you've got Paul who had a Barnabas beside him, you know, to lean on. And there was a Timothy where he was pulling Timothy along, developing him in his faith walk. And that's kind of the structure of a discipleship group. Like it's, you know, there's kind of one Paul in the group to a degree. And then, Everybody else is a Timothy to that Paul, but the Barnabas is to one another. 
which has biblical structure to it. I think if you take away the biblical structure, then more than anything, it's just kind of an accountability group. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I, I think that's but like an accountability group is a million times better than nothing. Right. You know, because it serves to some degree that same purpose of leaning into one another, talking about what could be a challenge for you this week or um, getting a different perspective. So I think there's tons of value in that because, again, you're not alone. I just think, in my case, if I can relate things back to the foundation of the Word of God, it just it helps me process things differently, I think. My goal is for our, our organization to be known as the leadership development company disguised as a car dealership. And that's kind of my, my, my <laughs> I say that a lot. Um, that's a big stretch. I'm like, that's... At the end of my life, if they say that's what we created, then I'd be super excited. Um, but inside that leadership coaching that we do, and because like I lead all those groups, we work on four things, and it's um, and I use actually Ryan Mickler, Order of Man. I use his battle ready plan to do, to do the coaching because it's just a really simple, easily multiplied idea. But it's calibration, which is either your mental space or your spiritual space. Because not everybody's a believer, but everybody has stress. <laughs> so um, then the other one's condition, which is your physical body. And then connection, which is a relationship in your life that you want to work on. And then um, contribution, which is more about how are you providing value or legacy, leaving legacy where you are. So in those groups, because I'm meeting with people who are not necessarily believers or have any Bible knowledge at all. We, we, we meet in there for accountability purposes, for leadership development, and we don't necessarily focus on the Word of God, you know, but there's always some sneaky Jesus in there if they're going to be, if I'm going to be in the room, I guess. Yeah, and, and it, it reminds me of, I was going to say, the reason why I asked the question the way I did originally was because from what I've seen, the way that you provide leadership within the business, it's this way that the quote is something along the lines of preach the gospel as often as possible and use words when necessary. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think from what I've seen of your example, it, it's always acting out and carrying out this, this discipline and these, these core values, you know, more so than, Hey, we've got KPIs to meet and I don't care go out there and sell a car. It's like, Hey, these, this is who we are as people. Right. And there's the, <clears throat> the servant leadership aspect of it more so than, you know, a typical slimy car salesman that most people would think of. Um, so I just, you know, I just wanted to touch on that point. Yeah. I, I, and it is, I mean, it's, you know, the core values mean nothing written on the wall. They only mean something when they're lived out. And that starts from, from a position of leadership down the pipeline. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I've got some coaches in my life that are, that really enjoy kicking me in the face when it comes to how I violate my core values of our, my business. Um, that Can you say that again? <laughs> Coaches in my life that enjoy kicking me. No, 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 no. Let's go, go back a second. Core values mean nothing written on a wall. They only mean something when they're carried out. Yes. Because that might seem really simple of a concept, but I feel like so many people get stuck on what they put on the wall, whether it's their Facebook wall, whether it's their living room wall, but don't actually focus on actually living out those things. I just ended up to reinforce that one because it was too good to just gloss over. Yeah, but it's true, you know, and, and I think to help that happen, having someone coach me in, in how I'm 
doing as a leader of exemplifying those and giving people the autonomy to do their do their daily duty, um, like it it really begins to point out all the ways that you do fall, fall short, and you don't even and you don't even realize it, you know. Um, but because I've got someone coaching me in that, it allows me to to see it more often in others and be able to coach them in it as well, kind of in the moment about hey, how was this? How was that situation living that out? You know, right. Um, yeah, it's they don't mean anything written on the wall, really. They don't do anybody any good besides putting a picture on the wall. Yeah, that's a good one. Now, you spend a lot of time and energy being coached, right? How important do you think that is, especially from a scenario where I think a lot of people assume that when someone is a coach or a leader, they've reached a pinnacle and then they just go and coach or, or lead other people. And they stop receiving that themselves, right? They worry about, hey, you need to hit this metric. I'm going to go send you to a training course. But I, as the leader, somehow am exempt from growth. I'm just, I'm at the top. So everyone else is below me. You guys got to grow. I'll just grow by default. Um, how important do you think that has been for you in continuing to like put the ego and pride aside, admit, hey, I don't have all the answers and continue to seek knowledge and growth? Yeah, that's a great question because I actually had... We had a, an event, a community event that, that um, we worked in um, a local festival in our town this past weekend. And one of the guys that works for us is a brand, is a purple belt right now in jiu-jitsu. And he got to meet someone who I've known for 20 plus years who was a black belt. And they, through the circle of that sport, knew of each other's, uh, the gym they worked out in, you know, the gym they rolled in. And it was just funny to watch them engage because I, I had known the black belt for 20 plus years. And this gentleman has been working for me for two years. And th it was the idea of the black belt said, Hey, if you're going to come roll with me, I don't want you to hold back. Right. And he, Jordan said, well, you don't have to tell me not to hold back because I want to bring all the heat I can, you know? And, and when, and when that interaction ended, he said, you know, what I see in a lot of guys is, you know, once they've got their own gym and they're running their own gym, you know, they, they don't bring in someone to challenge them in a way that they continue to grow. So then they put a lid on everybody that they're coaching. Anybody that's ranked below them is the max they could get to is as far as the leader gets. Well, if if I am aiming to create this leadership development company disguised as a car dealership, if I don't continue to get better in my leadership and my culture living, then I'm putting a lid on everyone in the organization. The best they could get is where I am. But if, if I'm constantly trying to grow in that or in any area, then, and I'm leading, then those that I'm leading always have another, another level that I could be training them on. Right. Now, how important do you think casting vision is, in that because you know when you're when you're explaining that to me that example of a leader who kind of caps out i see them put a vision of hey i need the company to get to x amount of dollars not this is what we're building as a culture and a community that's right, so i think the vision is totally different for someone who's going to cap out compared to someone who's going to you know continue to grow oh i, I agree um because letting someone what's interesting and i've learned it probably over the last year is because I did spend a lot of time 
getting coaching, putting myself in coaching positions. And sometimes that meant being away from the business for a couple of days. Well, if I didn't let the business know why I'm doing that and how it impacts the business in a positive way, all they see is, well, Chris is just off doing his thing. So it's really important for me to say, hey, the reason I'm doing this is because I don't want the business to be capped. I don't want anyone's growth to be limited, including mine. But if I ever stop, then everybody has a ceiling. And I used an opportunity. I went on a mission trip recently, and it hit me on the way to the airport about the freedom that I was allowed because of who I've got in the organization, how they lead, how they care about one another, how they care about the business, how they care about themselves. And because of all that and how they were beginning to lead themselves really, really well, it allowed me the freedom to go and do something I'm passionate about, which was that mission trip. And, you know, just sending out a message to them saying, hey, I need you to realize because of how you're showing up at work, selling a car, right, servicing a car, because of the way you're showing up there, that's giving me the freedom to go and do something that has an eternal impact on the other side of the planet. Trying right. to trying to connect those two dots of, oh, what I do here does matter in a different way other than bringing a dollar to the bottom line of the organization. Right. And I, and I think if, if, if leaders don't express that enough, I know I haven't expressed it enough in the past, then everybody in the organization looks at that leader who's doing those type of things just as entitled, right? Because he's not doing something that necessarily has an immediate effect on the business in a way that makes sense. Yeah. I think a lot of those people also come from a place of self-preservation and being scared. You know, that, that employee looks at it as, Hey, this person is going to do their own thing. They don't care about me as an employee and I'm now stuck and I'm capped out. But I think when they really understand they're on the receiving end of the benefit and Hey, I see you and I'm doing this for you, not in spite of you. Right. Um, I think that really helps. Yeah. And I, and I try to share, like if I'm at a coaching event where either I'm doing some coaching or I'm getting some knowledge in coaching, like one of my, one of the first things I try to do is kind of unpack it the day I get back. Um, you know, being in the car business, in the car space, like the manufacturers are constantly trying to get us to go and learn and do something new, like keeping us abreast of what's new. So if, if I'm going and doing that, then the most important thing I can do is come back and say, hey, this is, I went here and this is what I learned and this is how it's going to affect the business moving forward. Again, it's got, but it's got to be done at every point of contact almost. Otherwise that, like you say, because of where they come from, you know, how is it affecting me individually? If he's not here, he doesn't care. Right. But you need them to see, hey, if I'm not here, it's because I care. And it's because I care so much. I don't want us to put a lid on us. I've got to, we got to figure out a way to continually grow to the next level. Like that's why today I'm not here, you know? So, right. I think that's, it's important too, like to, to loop back to where we started, you know, leading with heart. When I look at this, one of the sayings that I've heard recently is a lot of men don't get their first flowers until they die. Mm. And it made me think a lot like, yeah, it's true. Like a lot of, like, I'm not buying you flowers, really. Like you'll buy flowers for your wife or a girlfriend or whatever. Right. But men in particular don't, whether it's, it's physical flowers or whether it's appreciation, compliments, respect, that sort of thing. Um, whether it's seen as soft or weak, we, we don't do it enough. Um, and I, I just want to just, you know, honor you for giving appreciation to your team 
like I, I think when you do that and you take a minute to appreciate the people who are on your team sacrificing time, like they are willing to go the extra mile because they understand, yeah, you care. You don't just see them as, you know, a cog in the machine, a way to increase the bottom line and, and put more dollars in your pocket. Uh, you see their effort as a sacrifice of their time in their life for this bigger vision. Right. Um, so I just, you know, I, I can't emphasize enough how much I appreciate your leadership in that being a servant leader who leads with heart. Um, and it's, it's again, like it's just not shown enough that you can be a really fit, strong, loving husband, friend, uh, father, leader, and be a badass and lead with love. Like it's not exclusive. It doesn't have to be this, you know, tough, uh, you know, facade that can never actually have emotion and like share that. Yeah. That's probably one of the biggest challenges in this space is, you know, the automotive space has been seen as cutthroat. And I mean, it's, it's, um, there's several movies, right. That are sales directed. Um, what comes to mind is like boiler room or Glengarry Glen Ross, which one of them's about financial management and the other one's about real estate sales. But both of those, those sales meetings, Ben Affleck sales meeting or Alec Baldwin sales meeting, like that was typical car business sales meetings coming up in this business. Um, so this idea that you just drive people into the ground, um, and, and don't really care about what happens at home or, or what's going on in their life. But in reality, when you start to care about the person behind you know, the pencil. Right. And, and what does that mean? I mean, we, I had a conversation with one of the leaders in our organization about one of their employees that we have this inclination that there's a struggle going on with a certain area of their life. And, and she said to me, she goes, I really don't want it to be like a disciplinary situation. I want to be able to have a conversation. And I said, then go have the conversation. Yeah. You know, just like, like, literally take them to lunch and let them know, Hey, yeah, I am a supervisor, your direct supervisor, but I care about your life because, and it's so cliche to say people don't care how much you know until you, they know how much you care, but there is so much truth in that. Right. Um, you know, I think good culture comes from people just caring about one another and, and not wanting to see them struggle and get hung up in their mess. Um, and, and I said, to them, I said, you know, if I felt like you were struggling, what do you think I would do? And she said, well, you'd probably try to find out what, what I was struggling about. So go and do likewise, you know, because, and it's not, you know, uh, Suzanne's favorite, my wife, Suzanne, one of her favorite things to say is, Hey, you can, you can get with someone and help them, but that doesn't mean you got to get in a ditch with them. You know, as right. long as you maintain, you know, the solid ground that you're on, but, but understanding when they're in the ditch and how do you, how do you help them navigate through that? I don't think there's enough of that in business as a whole, but especially our space. Um, I agree. But you I, know, but I, I think the other thing too is as a leader, I think a lot of people don't, I want to speak for you, but I'm going to go on a limb here. I don't think enough people realize that the higher you go in a leadership position, the less you do with the actual business and the more you deal with people in it. Like, do you have the same experience? I do. And I think that's probably one of the areas that I've got the most growth in. Um, because as the organization's grown, 
you find yourself time-wise to some degree getting spread thinner and thinner to some, you know, and so you got to be super intentional about when you're spending time with people, how you're spending time with people, um, and to make sure that the conversations are not always about productivity, Um, which probably is something over the last, I would say 36 months has been more and more and more at the center of conversations I try to have. It's funny. I, I think a lot of times people see it as like, why are we talking about that? You know, but I hope they look back in a week afterwards and go, Oh, now I know why we were talking about that. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's such a, it's a hard part for people to realize. You know, I think, whether it's they want to retain control or this ego and pride part that they're afraid to let go of. But, you know, I think as you grow in the leadership position, you almost really need, you need to be of the understanding that if you know every single thing going on in your business, you're not a good leader. And that might sound like bad advice, but like you need to have people underneath you on the same team who you can just trust. And you don't need to, to micromanage to know every single detail you physically can't, right? You need to be working on the vision, the people on the team, not necessarily reading every single car contract that comes through your office. You'd go crazy and nothing would ever get done. Yeah. I did a, so we have a, at the beginning of every month, we do a, a monthly kind of recap meeting just with the middle management staff of the organization. And we did that this past Monday. And something came to mind because we had a lot of moving parts. So, I elevated two people to higher positions than they were in in September and did some a couple of lateral moves. And, well, excuse me, I had three people that got moved up a level above where they were. I say that sounds weird, but just in a higher level of responsibility. Um, and so, but we, we had a good, we had a pretty good October. And the reason I'm saying that is, of those three people that got shifted, two of them were out of place for several days, week, because of family medical things that were going on. So I drew actually the calendar on a whiteboard and I used different color highlighter to highlight when I was out of place because I was out of place from my mission trip from the 5th to the 14th and then immediately went on a business trip from the, fort, uh, from the 19th through the 25th. So I was going a big chunk of the month myself. And then one of the, the um, directors of the organization was gone because his wife had surgery. So he was gone a whole week. And then we had two individuals that won a trip. So they were gone for five days. And then I had another guy that was at a learning seminar for a whole week. So when all the, where all the highlighter overlapped, then we had a guy that was on vacation for a week. The majority of the highlighter was over one week of October which was the week before the last two days of the month. And in the car business, that's kind of crunch week. Like that's the week that everybody looks at. And I, so I drew it on the board and I said, guys, like everybody here should look at that and, and recognize the fact that we had a huge chunk of leadership gone for a huge chunk of the month. And we had a really pretty good month. It should say to everyone, hey, while I'm away, it says to me, while I'm away, things are going to move forward because everybody on the team wants to keep moving forward and they want to take care of whoever's not in the seat today. And I said, so if you're one of those that is represented by color, then recognize there's somebody that's 
on your team that kept the ball going while you weren't in place. And be thankful and grateful because I am. I'm grateful for the fact that I was able to not be here for that, to have some amazing experiences, to do something I think has really big impact. And the wheels didn't fall off at one of the most crucial weeks of the month. Right. And it was after doing that, I said, now here's what we did learn. Number one, we got a really good team put together. Number two, we got a plan way better. <laughs> you know, but you could see the light bulbs kind of go off about, oh, wow. I mean, we hit forecast in a ton of areas. And one of the only places we missed forecast was at our Chevrolet store in our parts department. And it was by just a smidgen. And Chevrolet was on strike the whole month. You know, so had that not been the case, like it would have been easy to hit forecast in almost every area of our business with a big chunk of leadership being gone. I think that speaks to the health of the organization. In my it does. Opinion. And I think it also speaks to, like, you can't just tell people how to do their job. Like, that, that leadership walks the walk, right? It doesn't just say, hey, you have to go do this. Everyone understands who they are as people, right, and, and how to lead, and they, they live that. It's not just, hey, if the boss is not here to tell me what to do, I'm going to fall back into my old ways, Right? That's just the culture that you've kind of cultivated throughout that time by living it. Yeah, I think it's, you know, culture is constantly evolving and growing, but I, I do feel like we've got a little momentum. I can say that. Good. Take me back a little bit to like, <clears throat> I don't even know how many years to ask to go back, but where did this come from? Like, were, were you always in this servant leadership role or was there the dark ages where oh. you maybe didn't have this mindset. No, I, I can tell you, I, can't, I don't know the date. I know the meeting. So I started doing, when I got moved into the position I'm at now, which is leading, basically leading the organization. You know, I said my dad's first generation business owner, but he's, he's literally just kind of, here it is. Like your turn, you know, even though we've only been, we've been in the business the exact same amount of time. Because when he bought it, I was in the business. So um, just at different levels, obviously. Well, when I got moved into this position, the weight of having the responsibility of, well, at the time we had five dealerships and roughly the same number of employees. And in, in my mind, okay, well, that's 200-ish employees. And if you say, okay, well, each one of them has a spouse. Okay, well, that's 400 people. And let's just say that half of them have two kids. Like it, the, the number of people that um, decisions affect gets really big really quickly when you start to multiply it out. And I learned that from my dad. Like he taught me that at some age about, hey, when you look at it, it's not just about the ones in the organization. It's about their families as well. So when I started doing the math on the number of people, the weight of it hit me. I was like, man, I've got to learn to be a better leader. I've got to start educating myself, if nothing else, on just leadership. So that was in 2014. So that's been nine years ago. Well, starting to like study what, who I still look up to, like John Maxwell and Jim Gordon and all these guys that produce really good leadership content through books and podcasts, whatever, and just spending a ton of time studying. And about... Three years after that, we started doing a lot of really strategic planning, which we had never done before. So that was in 2017. So I've got three years of this, of this constant um, evolution of, of self-development. And again, about the same time, really diving into discipleship group. So it's my faith is growing, my business acumen and leadership. I think I'm, I'm, I'm learning more about 
learning it, not, maybe not putting it into practice as much as I do now, but definitely filling my brain with it. And in 2017, we started this strategic planning. And one of the questions, one of the meetings that our facilitator had in one of our, like, developing our strategy meetings, we talked about um, a self-development plan. And he said, who in here has a self-development plan? Well, in the room was the entire leadership group of the organization. There was eight of us. And of the eight, I was the only one who raised my hand. And it scared me to death to have a room full of who I was expecting to lead the organization who was doing nothing beyond just riding the rock of the sun every day to develop any area of their life, whether it be physical or how they steward their brain or what they're learning. Like there was no plan in place. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like how do they not feel the weight of who they're leading? I, I, like it just didn't make sense to me. So I guess for my personal walk, it started in 2014. Starting to work on it inside the organization started in 2017. So <clears throat> the idea of taking the leadership team and trying to rally around one buck a month and being able to meet and have group discussions on that about just, um, and what do we learn? What are the takeaways? How can we apply it? That kind of thing. And then about two and a half years ago, it was about, hey, well, how do we get people in the room to want, to, that who want to develop themselves and give them a path to do that. Um, because, you know, John Max was famous for saying personal development doesn't happen accidentally. Like you've got to have a desire and a want or at least an exposure to it. And what I saw is that the majority of the people had just never been exposed to it. So it wasn't a matter of a doing problem. It was really a knowing problem. Now, after they know, you'll see you'll encounter some doing problem you know, or, or lack of wanting to do. Um, but it was really knowing. And so that started about two years ago where we got really intentional about putting small groups, you know, five to six people in a room, spending an hour with them once a week, you know, over the course of six months to specifically work on areas of their life where they could grow. So, yeah, for me, you know, almost 10 years ago, I guess, personally started diving in just because it felt heavy. Like the responsibility felt heavy. And has it always, have you always been a responsible person? <laughs> no. I can tell you, uh, like this morning, I was irresponsible. <laughs> so, um, no, 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 not, no, definitely not. Um, man, I can, like, so many ways of being irresponsible in my life. Um, Irresponsible with money, I'd be irresponsible with relationships, irresponsible with my body. Like, I'd like tons of ways that I've been irresponsible. What I have learned is recognizing of looking back with 2020 eyesight, <laughs> hindsight, of how it served me in such a horrible way to be irresponsible. So, um, I think that's one of the ways, or one of the things that probably helps me develop discipline is being able to, to recognize those massive speed bumps, you know, in the last 51 plus years of my life where it's real easy to say, yeah, don't do that again. Right. That was painful. So I, I appreciate your honest answer there. Um, and I'll second it. I am also quite the irresponsible one, but, uh, you know, I think one of the big differences is a lot of people look at someone who might be in this position and say, Hey man, he, he got lucky. He was, um, you know, given a business or he just is 
gifted with this talent or that talent or this ability or that ability. And it's easy for a lot of people to just dismiss the hard work that goes in. But I think the, the big difference in people who achieve, you know, certain levels of leadership and, and success, whatever that means to each person individually, is you're all going to make mistakes. You're all going to have times where you're irresponsible, where you do things that maybe you shouldn't have. But like you either take the time to look back at that, why you did it, learn from it, and use it as an opportunity to grow and elevate, or you just lean into it and say, oh, well, I made a pretty bad decision. Might as well make another one. And anyway, I think that's just life is a, a real series of those decisions stacked on top of each other. And they either exponentially push you forward or backwards, depending upon, you know, whether you decide to take a moment and reflect and, and do the, the hard work of having uncomfortable conversations with yourself. And, and I think it's a, it's a daily walk too. I mean, there's, um, you know, we, we started off this conversation about having, you know, these accountability partners or discipleship groups. And, you know, it's like having someone that's able to call you out in a moment where you can't call yourself out. Um, right. you know, when people can see your life spiraling out of control, when you feel like you've got it all under control, um, and, and able to say in a loving way, you know, I, I, I had, I've got a relationship in my life and I told them like, I love you enough to burn down our relationship because I see the promise in you. And I, I, th I don't think we can have enough people like that in our life that, that are willing to burn the relationship with us down, um, in order for us to be our best self, right. you know? And I think the, and if that can be a reciprocal thing, if they love you enough to say, Hey, I'll burn our relationship down. If I see you acting incongruent with who you are, um, it causes for some uncomfortable conversation, you know, but Tim Grover, I posted it the other day. Ken, Tim Grover says, everybody wants encouragement, but nobody wants the truth, but the best encouragement is the truth. Right. You know? Um, so yeah, it's man. I, I wish I could say that I do everything responsibly now, but yeah, I still, there's still struggles every day. Like, like Bojangles is on the way home. <laughs> hey man you're uh you're human at the end of it you right. know we're gonna have struggles and it's it's life life is sometimes messy it's it's ugly it's real but it's life and you know i think it's it's really easy for us to get stuck in this trap of like looking at other people who we think we know their life because we know like one tiny sliver of it that they happen to post a highlight reel on instagram or facebook whatever it is and we assume that their life is just great and perfect and they don't have these struggles and like you know <clears throat> We, we think people are successful based on what we see of their life. And not enough, not enough people share the struggle, the, you know, the irresponsible decisions to, to make people feel like, hey, I'm not alone in that. Right. And uh, it's, it's really easy to feel low in that position where you're like, oh, man, I'm not where I want to be yet. I'm struggling with this or that. And I look around and I see all these other people who I think are successful based on what I see. I don't ever see them struggling or, or them doing this or that it must just be me. I'm not destined for it. I'm not cut out for it. But, uh, you know, I think this level of vulnerability and transparency is really what's needed for people to understand that they are not alone. Yeah. It's normal. Yeah. And you know, in 2018, I started this video vlog. I don't like it was on Instagram. I got challenged into doing it where I recorded a video every day of, what I had learned from a podcast or a book or something 
as I um, did my cardio in the morning. And one of my goals in that was if I was if there was a struggle the business had because most of it was a business conversation. I mean, it there was some faith element to it for sure. Probably more of it the more I got into it. Um, and my goal with that was, hey, if I talk about where we're struggling, you know, hopefully somebody will reach out and say, hey, did I've handled that problem? Here's a better way to handle it. Um, but it would give everybody this glimpse into, hey, as great as things look, there's always, you know, these feet paddling below that you can't see that are trying to solve problems, you know, right. and, and what I learned through that process when like putting that out there, nobody wants to talk about it up front. Like there was not a lot of comments made, but man, the DMS that came in on the back end, you know, wanting to have conversations privately, um, were awesome because they would say, yeah, man, we like, that's the same thing we're seeing. Like it's a, um, but because of the vulnerability and the transparency, you know, it was, it was funny. There was a, um, person who was in leadership in our organization who um, ended up graduating through next opportunity. And they, I, I spoke about it openly about how I missed the mark, bringing them into the organization, never named them by name. Um, so really the only person who knew who I was talking about was that person or the few people in leadership at the time in the organization. And what I was speaking to was my failure. I missed the mark. Like it, it wasn't, he wasn't a good fit for us. He's probably a good fit wherever he is now. Um, but I, I never spoke about really his failure. It was my failure of, of, of how, what I missed, how I didn't ask the right questions or ask any questions at all, or do enough due diligence. Like there was all these where I missed the boat and it was interesting. Like he jumped in and really let everybody know exactly who I was talking about. And um, somebody who was in the organization at the time as well came out and said, hey, I don't think you should have called them out that way. And I was like, well, tell me where I said their name and tell me how I called them out. Like, if you listen to it, it was my failure, my shortcoming, my missing the mark. It was never about them. All I just said is they weren't a good culture fit. It doesn't mean they're a failure. It just means they weren't a culture fit. Um but to that, but my point in all that was my goal through all of that was, hey, let's just put out exactly the truth, nothing but the truth, and and what comes from that comes from it, you know. And the overwhelming feedback from the business world, from LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff was, hey, man, we appreciate that level of transparency because we struggle with those same things. Um, so, yeah, I think the world needs more of it. Yeah, I'm look, I definitely see it too. I spent a lot of time making this genre of content and the majority of it doesn't get comments and likes and shares and whatever else. But the amount of people who reach out to me privately who have said that they've gotten some impact or, you know, the start a conversation or whatever that never even said it publicly, it's a hundred to one. It's crazy. Uh, but there's such a stigma of people who are afraid to admit that they struggle. hundred mm -hmm. percent. How does yeah, that translate? I struggle. I'm not. <laughs> Me, too. Me too. How does that translate into your marriage relationship? So I feel like to, to clarify that question, mm -hmm. a lot of people I see, and it's a spot that I was in in the past too, like you come into your relationship with this, anytime you say something, 
the other person responds back in defense. Like they always have to protect something. It's always one person versus the other. Um, and I think it takes a lot of communication to get to the point where you both know, Hey, we've got guardrails in place. Like the situation life's going to be stressful. Like things are going to happen. Um, you're going to have a stressful day. She'll have a stressful day. It's going to be what it is. It's life. And there needs to be that guardrail in place where people can have a stressful day and you can go to someone who is, you know, who knows your life as intimately as you do, uh, to be able to share that part. Um, you know, that, that servant leadership in, in the home, I would just love your perspective on how that works for you as well. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so I can use an example recently as far as recently as yesterday. Um, Suzanne went to a women's retreat, um, in Alabama and I asked her for her take takeaways, not so much about the retreat, but, um, just the, the facility, because it's something that she and I see as something that we would love to do is things like that, um, separate from the car business. And she said about the husband in that situation, who's a really good leader, she said, you know, he, he loves her and serves her so well. Because it was, was Ivy and Benet Marsh, like they're, you know, down in Alabama. And so it was Benet's event, specifically towards women, and she talked about how well Ivy did at loving and serving her. And I said, you know, it's funny, I've been to a men's event that Ivy had, and I got to see how well Benet loved and served him. And I, and I thought about, you know, how I took it is, if, if Suzanne brought that to me, then I probably need to lean into that. She's coming home tonight. How can I show up the way you saw Ivy show up? Because listening to what's not said, right? right what she's saying is, hey, I saw things in IV that's an admirable trait on, in a husband and a leader. And I'm telling you, I saw it. Now ask me what it is, right? Um, now, so that's my plan tonight is to have that conversation. I wish I'd have been that guy 25 years ago <laughs> of the one who heard what wasn't said rather than listening to respond. You just said it. Now you're listening to, to respond because there's two people in a situation but I think when we get to the point where we can listen um, to what's not being said, you know, our, you know, Susanna had that podcast of, you know, about marriage and faith. And, and one of the things that's probably been the best experiment for me in that is listening to the questions that she asked our guest and knowing that that's where most of the time she probably sees I need to grow in. Like she's asking the guest but I hear her asking me that. Right. So it's wild that I think that podcast has enriched our marriage just because we've been able to interview people. And at the same time, like we're giving each other clues as to how to make our marriage better. Um, which has been really cool actually, you know? Um, I don't know that that answers your question. Cause I'm thinking about the question you asked was about servant leadership in the home. I mean, it, it does. <clears throat> because, you know, I think, in the same regard, in order to be able to show up and really focus on serving your partner, because this to me is the same in a partnership in, in marriage or in a business, like each partner has to, to focus on honoring the other partner. Mm. And if each partner is able to focus first on honoring the other partner, both partners are served and that's a partnership. Right. But 
all too often one of them won't because they are just too focused on controlling it themselves. They want to do it all themselves and they're afraid to give up control to the other partner to honor them correctly. Um, <clears throat> or they have that ego and pride part where you can't take feedback and criticism or are willing to read between the lines to see, hey, did my wife happen to notice this other husband did something for his wife? Let me learn something because you take that as a threat. Right. Right. So the, to be able to put down the ego and pride and understand I can still grow. You know, I see that the same in leadership in a relationship in marriage or a business. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 got, I understand your point. I'm a hundred percent. It's the same. You know, it's about recognizing that growth is constant, you know, and, and no different than we talked about, you know, sharing vision with the organization as you're growing and the purpose behind it. I think I know that the same holds true in marriage. Like there's, um, when I think about, you know, Suzanne and I as a young, truly married, freshly married couple, like I really didn't consult her on much of anything. It's actually, you know, she and I are compiling this new book and it's one of the chapters we just got done with was about this certain instance that happened inside the first three months of our marriage about how poor I showed up in that moment, you know, um, because there wasn't enough questions asked and there wasn't enough consideration to the partner. And it wasn't about, I mean, when we're talking about 90 days in, you know, when fresh honeymoon space and you're, you're already screwing it up, you know? Right. Um, but you, you think about just maturity and leadership, but also maturity is as a husband or as like you say, that, that partner of letting go of the ego and saying, Hey, tell me, how I can show up better. You know, Noah Elias has got a great quote. He says, one of the best questions you can ask your partner is, do you feel like my number one client? And then be prepared for what they say. Um, because if it's anything other than yes, then you have to ask the next question is, okay, well, in what way can I show up better so that you do know that you're my number one client? Right. Um, especially for people that are entrepreneurs, you know, that makes the most sense to us because I, I think we would want our spouses to feel like our number one. Yeah. I almost even replaced client with priority. Yeah. I like that. Um, you know, earlier you talked about doing the multiplication of, of showing up for people on your team and their spouses and their families. But I think when you do the same level of multiplication on your family, whether it's your partner, your kids, it's easy to, to lose sight of, of how deep that impact goes because it's not as direct as you know, employees on a roster. But when you really show up for your partner, your friends, your kids, if you have them, like you're shaping another human and you're impacting the way that they go out and, and view the world and impact the world. And you've got three kids. Your three daughters, I have zero doubt, are going to go out there and create so much impact from all of, you know, all of their friends, their teachers, their friends' parents, um, their relationships, like how much impact and how many families, the, the person at the grocery store where they said, thank you, have a great day right. because they had the manners and the courtesy and the respect to do that. Cause that was a core value for you guys. Like that level of impact, I think we lose sight on and it's easy just to measure the KPIs of a business, but we forget how much impact is coming from the house as well. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I say all the time, you know, one of, I think probably, one of the most impressive things about my children is their desire to solve world problems. Like they see a, a, a 
a God-sized hole, right, in the world that only God's going to be able to fix, and they want to play a part in that. Right. Um, and it's super exciting to me to hear them talk about it because when they when they discuss those things, man, they light up, you, you know. And and you're right that it's I feel like it'll be an immeasurable impact. I mean, how do you? I mean, how do you even begin to measure how they? You know, you said it. You know, spread the gospel. Use words when necessary. I, I've said before, like you might be the only Bible somebody reads today, right? And and, and they truly live that, which is, I mean, it brings me a, it brings Suzanne and I both a ton of joy to see that, you know, um, knowing that there's huge amounts of impact that that are that way, and I, I, I'll take a minute to brag on them because. When we, in 2013, so 10 years ago, so Avery's 12, Shelby's four, Gabrielle's nine, and we were at a dealer convention in um, South Carolina. And um, you know, at that convention, there was a breakfast, and at the breakfast, they do Lifetime Achievement Awards. They do this, like it's a... It's an hour and a half long breakfast. Long for a guy in his 40s. Real long for kids that are 4, 9, and 12. And, like, my kids sat there the whole time with no electronics, no books. Like, they were in tune to what was going on the whole time, including Shelby at 4. Right. And when we left the room, and there were other families. It's like the North Carolina Dealers Association does a really good job of making their convention a family convention which I love, right? So it's tons of families there. And then you get to grow up with these same kids. Like you watch these kids grow up. And we were leaving the room and multiple people came over because there were, like I said, other families. And this is not saying that they're horrible kids. I'm just saying that my kids showed up different. And um, multiple people came over and complimented the way my children exhibited themselves, even at that early age. And I got, like, it made me really emotional. So when we came back to the room after dinner later that night, you know, the the first thing I did was, hey, I'm glad you had a good time, but I want to tell you, like, what made me have a great time. Number one, watching y'all have a good time and then having people come up to me and compliment the way you show up in this world at four, nine, and, 11, and 12 years old. Like, that's, yeah. like, and it's just continued to be the case. Like, they just really show up well, you know, they, they care about other people's feelings and they, you know, we, it's just neat to see, you know, knowing that yeah. there's going to be massive impact that, that man, like, like they're going to have impact. I just know they are, you know? And I don't think it's a coincidence that your kids show up in that same way that the people on your team show up. Like it's no coincidence that it just happens to be the people around you, both personally and professionally show up in that way by accident. So and just honor to you for, for walking the walk and, and just living that life of intentionality and purpose and, and possibility and showing people, you know, really how to, how to act out the core values, not just keep them on the wall. Yeah. So honor to you for that. Appreciate that. So we've been at this a little over an hour at this point, so I want to respect your time. Um, I got two questions left for you. Sure. Question number one, if you've got one bit of advice to give to someone today to, to just give them a, a, a step forward, some bit of actionable, actionable advice or just a little motivation that they can take and just have a better day today, what would that be? 
Oh my gosh. Um, one piece of actionable advice. How to have a better day. I, actually, I think I want to go back to something you said not just a few days ago. You matter. You know, you put up a post that people don't hear enough that they matter. We were having a conversation, like two leaders in our organization were having a conversation about this. And remember, I told you we have a, an, an employee that we feel like has got some struggles. And I said, you know, one of the best things that we can let them know is that they matter. And I don't think people let other people know that enough, that you matter. Like, I'm thinking about you and you matter. Um, you, honor to you, you do a really good job of intentionally reaching out to people and touching them at random moments to send them really sweet video messages. And um, like that, it matters, you know? So letting someone know that they matter. Yeah, you matter. I love it. Thank you. Last question for you. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite flavor of cake? Oh, for sure, pineapple. Like pineapple upside down cake or just... So my grandmother's pineapple cake, um, to be specific, she okay. passed away um, nine years ago. But yeah, she made this amazing pineapple cake with this really light, basically whipped cream icing, um, sweetened whipped, whipped cream icing. I mean, it was so good. I mean, I love pineapple, period. Um, but I really miss her pineapple cake. Suzanne's, man, she's... She's an amazing baker, so she's really gone through a lot of my grandmother's recipes and tried to perfect them and actually write them down, you know, because that didn't get passed down. Um, but yeah, it's like pineapple cake, white cake, really light, mostly pineapple whipped cream icing, for sure. It all. I'll have to uh, I'll try that one day. Yeah. So maybe what we'll do when you come down is we'll get Suzanne to make that pineapple cake so you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a good time to me. Yeah. All right, brother. I listen. I cannot thank you enough for being who you are, showing up in my life every day, showing up here, uh, imparting, you know, your knowledge and wisdom, being willing to be vulnerable and transparent. And it, it means a lot to me personally. And I am confident. I got a lot out of this conversation. I'm confident at least one other person is going to walk away and have a, you know, a different outlook on life. Thanks to you. So sorry to you for that impact. I'm honored to be here, brother. And um, I love you. I love how you show up. Um, and, you know, we, 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 we exchange a lot of I love yous. There's not enough of that in the world either, right? Agreed. And, um, and unashamedly say it. And, um, but the way I, I said, said someone, to someone when you weren't around that I've never seen you be incongruent with who you say you are. And um, that is, that says a lot because that's not the normal. I love how you show up, brother. Thank you. I receive that and I appreciate that. We're going to we're gonna keep doing this until that becomes the normal. That's Absolutely. the goal. Absolutely. All right, man. Love you. Thank love you. you. Thank Enjoy you. your day. You too.